Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Hello and welcome to this week's Witch Money podcast. And this week's episode is the third instalment of our new series on the rising cost of living, bringing you expert advice and money-saving tips on a different topic each week to help you ease the squeeze. Now, today's rate of inflation is the highest in 30 years at 5.5%, but the cost of food staples have risen by up to 45%. And as we'll go on to discuss today, this may be just the tip of the iceberg. This week, we'll be deep diving into food prices and supermarkets with loads of advice on how to slash your bills. And for this, we're joined by which regular Adam French and two very special guests, the executive director of the charity, the Food Foundation, Anna Taylor, and the presenter of the BBC programme Eat Well for Less Chris Babin. Thank you all for being here. Thanks Lucia, uh, lovely to be here and thank you Anna and Chris for joining us. Some proper experts, I'm very happy to let you both do a lot of the talking today. Wonderful to get <laughs> your input here and help as many people as possible bring down the cost of their grocery shop and understand a bit more about what's going on. Hello, thank you for having us. Yeah, we're very excited. If we start then with the, the broader picture... The UN reported global food prices are up by a whopping more than 30%. And we're seeing the UK's food prices soaring across a huge range of items. So can you talk us through some of the reasons behind these increased costs? Okay, so I mean, maybe we should start with the the sort of link between fuel prices and food prices, which is obviously pretty close. And I think what we've seen following the pandemic is a big rebound in demand for fuel um, and that's 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 created a lot of pressure on supply um, which has pushed up prices and there's also quite low stockpiles of natural gas so all of that has meant that fuel prices have gone up which has a knock-on impact on food prices because of course we need fuel to make fertilizer we need fuel to make uh, to transport food we need food to process uh, fuel to process food um, the other thing that's gone up quite significantly is the cost of carbon dioxide which is used in food processing so those things have gone up having a knock-on impact on food prices and then we've also had the labor a set of, sort of labor problems some of those have risen as a result of covid with people isolating and not being able to work and others have resulted from brexit and a decrease in the availability of 
low cost labour, which has meant then that wages have needed to go up to address that problem with supply, which has then had knock on impacts on food prices as well. So there's, and then you've got the sort of global picture, as, which is it's mirrored really. Some of those factors are mirrored at the global level, and but you've combined that with some climate disruption as well, which means that harvest in particular places have been hit, which means some products, things like Durham wheat, uh, prices have gone up very significantly uh, linked to, mm. to harvest failures. So um, quite a complicated picture, but it's important to keep the sort of fuel and food together in our minds because they're so intimately connected. And for households, they are, of course, as well, because you're using fuel to cook your food. Yeah, I mean, just to echo what Anna said there, it's it's almost the perfect storm, mm. isn't it? Every cost of of producing and transporting and packaging food has gone up and it feels like it's going to continually go up you know every 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 increase you know particularly i think probably labor and fuel prices um are the are the two largest ones um they don't look like they're going to 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 change it doesn't look like this situation is going to improve anytime soon and i think concerningly as well is that we're only just starting to see this impact now in the terms of the prices we're paying in supermarkets really and truly. Uh, we do know which when we spoke to a lot of supermarkets in the run up to Christmas, for example, they were telling us that they were absorbing these increases in sort of wholesale costs and transportation costs to keep prices low in the run up to Christmas as much as they could. But those costs are now being passed on to us as consumers. So we're seeing this sudden spike. And certainly if I'm out and about mm. talking to people at the supermarket Everyone is talking about this. Everyone's worried about how much more their shopping is costing. Week to week, they're feeling that difference at the moment. For all the reasons Anna and Chris just outlined, you know, this is a real cause of concern and it's really hitting people in the pocket at the moment. And combined with everything else, I mean, it's so important now we're looking at how, ways we can actually save money on our weekly shop to do it as economically as possible without compromising on our health and our nutrition. I think that's that's the really important thing looking ahead for the next little while. So let's hear now how this landscape is affecting our, our pockets and our spending. As part of our cost of living series, we've been hearing about how the current cost of living crisis is affecting you. And this week, we've been speaking to Kate from Essex about rising food prices and how it's impacting her family. Hi, I'm Kate. I live in Essex. I live with my three children, partner and cats, and that means there's a lot of mouths to feed. My children like to eat a lot of small meals throughout the day regularly, particularly in holidays, they want to eat non-stop. When I make them dinner and meals, they tend to not eat that very much. Um, they only eat small portions of meals and then they want to eat more food half an hour later. So over the course of the day, they do eat a lot of food. They can be quite fussy, so I try not to experiment too much on food and choose the same things most of the time that I know they'll actually eat. There are a number of dishes that are quite reliable. Pasta is always a winner and bolognese. They won't touch spicy food generally, but I did try chili con carne at one point and suddenly they liked chili con carne. So um, there are a number of dishes that are quite reliable. So we don't have a set budget for food and I don't tend to, at the moment, I'm not really kind of watching the pennies of how much we spend. But looking back, we spend probably about £60 a week on food. It varies kind of between weeks, but I think for across them, it's generally about £60 that we're spending. 
I have changed the way that I'm buying food because of the cost of living increase. I'm buying a lot more food at um, the cheaper supermarkets um, and the range of food I'm buying is probably reduced quite a lot. We used to buy a lot more fresh fruit, things like strawberries and, I don't know, raspberries, blackberries, etc. And we don't tend to buy that much anymore because the cost is quite high and they don't last very long. So we buy a lot more apples and easy peelers, which the cost is lower and they last longer. There feels like there's been a much bigger gap between the branded products and supermarket own brands. I was in the supermarket with my eldest daughter and she wanted to buy various things and she kept on going for the brands that she recognises. I was like, okay, you can buy that for £2. This was about tortilla chips. You can buy a bag for £2, which is branded, or you can buy the supermarket own brand for 50 pence. So let's go for the cheaper one. And I think also when I've gone from shopping in Aldi and Lidl, etc., and then I go into one of the other supermarkets, the prices are noticeably different there. And so the things that I might normally buy, I'm like, oh, okay, we're not going to buy that today because it's a lot more expensive. I'm a bit torn over it because I think that Prices for food have been extremely cheap in the past. I am kind of aware that farmers aren't always getting the money that they should be and that the welfare of animals isn't always as good as as it should be. So we should be paying more money for some foods, but there's only so much that we can afford. And whereas in the past, for instance, if I was buying a chicken, I would always buy a free range chicken. Now I'm like, oh, a £2.97 chicken. I'm going to buy that because I can feed my family for two days. And I kind of have this internal like dialogue each time about whether the food that I'm buying is the best for the animals, for the farmers, and also for my children and, and us, um, because the cheaper food can be a lot more um a lot more processed and I'm cutting out a lot of, as I said, we're not buying as much strawberries and fresh fruit. So how am I affecting their diet by buying the cheaper options? So that does concern me that I'm kind of might be causing some long term impact on them. Thank you so much to Kate for sharing her experience with us. There is so much in there that I want to talk about and we'll definitely keep coming back to it throughout the show. But firstly, Kate really hits the nail on the head there saying that Aldi and Lidl are cheaper than the other supermarkets. And when it comes to saving this is the perfect place to start, really. We have loads of research on this at which, as every month, we compare the cost of a basket of 19 essentials at the UK's biggest supermarkets. And last month, we revealed our cheapest supermarket of the year, looking back over 2021. So, Adam, can you talk us through the cheapest to most expensive ranking supermarkets and the difference you'd be paying for essentially the same items? Absolutely, I can, Lucia. And this, so when we talk about 19 essential items, it is mm. things like bread and milk and onions and tea bags, you know, nothing particularly luxurious, all in that mm. is essentials that you'd have on a, on a sort of weekly basis. And unsurprisingly, the two discounter stores are by far and away the cheapest places to do your shopping. We found that last year and we found that in January of this year as well. They're usually pretty close together there's only a matter of pence in it so looking back at last year I think Aldi came out top for six months Lidl came out top for five months for example so you know these are consistently ranking there Um, now looking back at last year Aldi was the cheapest but I say whichever one is nearest to you they're going to be 
the cheapest places to get your shopping done. When it comes to the non-discount supermarkets, Asda consistently every single month came out as the cheapest of the non-discount stores. So if you're particularly wedded to your brands, then that is probably the place to go. But certainly if you're looking to save money, Aldi and Lidl are the ones to aim for. We found last year that you'd be paying typically sort of around £20 to £23 for this basket of shopping compared to, say, at Waitrose, where that's up in the mid-30s, for example, or even pushing £40 at points as well. So there is a mm. substantial saving to be made by going to the discount stores. Definitely just go there if you're looking to save money on your shopping. That's absolutely a given. Now, looking at things that have increased in cost the most over the past year. Now, this is based on at which we we use an independent price comparison site to look at and track the prices across the entire year. So this isn't looking at ONS data necessarily. This is looking at our own data tracking these prices. Mm -hmm. And we found things like Royal Gala apples increased by 14% over the course of the year. Eggs were up 12% over the year. Onions Mm. and milk were up sort of 10 and 11% over the course of the year. Now, individually, they're a matter of a few pence for each product. But that starts to add up substantially when you're looking at across the cost of an entire shop. So we did see across these supermarkets, even at Aldi and Lidl, that average cost of that basket of shopping, that increased by between 4 and 5%. Um, actually, in Waitrose, we saw that basket of shopping increase by over 9% over the mm. course of last year. Other end of the table, Sainsbury's and Tesco, the two that you know are consistently middle ranking in terms of how much that basket of shopping costs, we only saw a 05 to 0.9% increase in that cost of shopping so some have been absorbing the costs more than others but certainly it does mean that prices are going up across the board as we all know discount stores are still the place to go but we're seeing prices go up there quite quickly also it's a really tricky situation to try and navigate if you're looking to save money in your shopping and even when you go to the discounters you're noticing that that is going up on a weekly basis as well. Well, food prices overall are going up, but but it does seem as though some supermarkets are passing the rising costs on to customers more than others. What explains such a difference from one to the next? In in my in my opinion um and experience, I would suggest that it's it's their purchasing models are quite different as well. So some will work on longer fixed price programs than others. Um, and although the discounters are changing as as they grow, they are having to change their model. They wouldn't fix prices with their suppliers for as long as, as one of the other larger retailers, for example. So you mentioned Tesco's and Sainsbury's there had a, had a, 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 a much lower increase to date that could be because they are still within the terms of their fixed price programs that, that might span six months, 12 months, 18 months, two years or whatever, depending on the product, depending on, on individual deals that they're doing with, with producers, growers and suppliers. Um, and, and the discounters would work on a much shorter time frame of fixing prices. They might fix a price for a month, say, for example. So that that may play its part. I think there's an inevitability of, of this happening across the board but it just might happen at different times for different retailers because they've got different procurement um strategies in place 
And Chris, the difference it can make changing where you shop, this is something we also see on Eat Well for Less. And that goes beyond supermarkets too. Say local market stalls, they can often be cheaper, can't they? Yeah, they absolutely can. And I think we are seeing people become less loyal to, to one specific retailer or, or one method of shopping, um, which can definitely herald savings and, and, and assist in, in trying to offset some of these cost increases. But yeah, for you know, as a former greengrocer mm-hmm. and having worked in the in the fresh produce industry for, for longer than I care to remember, um, yeah, those markets can offer some real value. And I think it's it's worth looking at. I think the difference between a, an, an independent retailer and the, the sort of retail multiples is the supermarkets have to have all products at all times. And prices are fluctuating on a, on a supply and demand basis. Whereas a greengrocer or a, or a butcher or, or a market stall, for example, they've got more flexibility to, to, to move with the market, to move with supply issues. So if something is short, they might not necessarily need to stock it or stock as much of it. Uh, and if something mm-hmm. is is you know, more plentiful, uh, i.e. in season and therefore cheaper, they can they can buy more effectively, more efficiently and pass those savings on. So, yeah, I definitely think it's worth looking uh, at, at market stalls, at independent retailers. You know, they won't always be cheaper, but sometimes, you know, they will have better value products on offer. So yeah, I definitely think we we want to just look around, shop around for, for the best possible deals that you can. And I think the internet can can play a, a real part in that. You know, I think most supermarkets now have a really good online presence, uh, whether that be for delivery or click and collect, or just to actually have a look uh, and, and price up your shop before you go. I think that can that can offer some real savings. Knowledge is power, as we so often say on the podcast. It does always seem to go back to just doing your research and, and using that as a basis, doesn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, there's there's deals on, um, you know, there's there's offers, there's promotions, there's, you know, lots of different factors at play. So just because something was cheaper mm-hmm. in a store last week doesn't mean to say that that's going to be the cheapest offer next week. So yeah, it's I mean, it feels laborious, doesn't it? It feels like a real war yeah. and, and a job that, that probably most of us don't have the time nor the inclination to do. But it's it's really worth doing, especially if you are concerned about your, your food bill and, and, and worried about, you know, spending too much. It's it's a great tool. Um, and it's, it's a great way of offsetting some of these increases. Absolutely. And can we look a bit closer now then at which food prices are going up the most? Now, looking at a table of data from the Office for National Statistics, which publishes inflation figures, a few items stand out. So a roasting joint of beef was almost a third more expensive than this time last year, while the price of a block of margarine and the likes of cauliflower, pears and dessert apples have risen by a fifth or more. Are there any trends we can comment on here and any reason behind these specific rises? I mean, I think what the what the CPI, um, the the Office for National Statistics data that you just referred to shows is that there are when you're looking at sort of big category level differences, oils and fats are the category that really stands out where prices have gone up the most, um, about 16 percent on average. Of course, when you pick out individual product products, you see um, a big 
mixture, heterogeneity across the piece. But when you look at broad categories, you can get a bit of a sense of what are the sorts of ingredients that are being affected by the different aspects of the supply chain problems that we've been talking about. Um, so oils and fats jumps out. Fruit and veg, I mean, fruit is up by about 7% as a sort of whole category. What we know, of course, when food prices go up, when they went up very significantly in 2008, was that people cut back then on um, things in the diet which are seen as sort of extra sort of luxuries, if you like, and fruit is often one of those things. Those categories really matter when it comes to trying to make sure that you're actually eating well and in a way which protects your long-term health. And we'll definitely talk a bit more about the trade-offs people are being kind of forced to make at the moment. But first, still on inflation, Can we talk about how the overall headline of inflation relates to the impact of rising food prices felt by consumers? Because really interestingly, the Office for National Statistics has actually come under fire for this in the last month or so, with campaigners arguing it doesn't really represent the impact of inflation on the poorest households. So this made the news after a tweet went viral from the campaigner, Jack Monroe. And I'm sure many of you will have seen it. She very frankly lists plenty of examples of price increases over a year in her local supermarket market, looking specifically at the cheapest options. So she tweeted that the cheapest rice, for example, went from 45p for a kilogram bag to £1 for 500 grams today, which is a wild increase of 344%. Now, the case she makes is that inflation, which currently sits at 5.5%, grossly underplays the real impact felt by lower incomes. And she presents a really powerful case for it, doesn't she? This is something we've we've found at which as well. So we published some research in January looking at how this the broader pressures on the cost of living will impact different income groups. And the sort of lowest twenty percent of earners spend as much as a third of their income come April on food and electricity and gas. Essentially so heating and eating, a third of their and that's before you get to housing costs, childcare costs, anything else on top of that. That's a huge amount of their income. Compare that to the the top twenty percent of earners, and they're only spending around fifteen percent of their their money on that, and they've already got considerably more money in the first place as well. Um, so this does disproportionately hit those people who could least afford it, uh, and that's where businesses have a massive role to play in supporting those people who are going to be struggling to make ends meet right now. And that's across the board. It's food, it's energy, it's making sure that those businesses are equipped and prepared to support their customers who are facing financial hardship. And I've said this before in the podcast, we will be looking at businesses and how they are actually communicating with their customers and ensuring that they are doing everything they can to support them. Because people, this it's a well-worn phrase, but unfortunately, as everything Anna just said, it's true. People are forced into choosing between heating and eating. And that just isn't, isn't right. And we shouldn't let businesses put people in that situation by demanding their money in the same way across the board. So there is definitely something to be done around businesses supporting their customers and ensuring that these heartbreaking decisions don't fall disproportionate on those who can least afford them. Yeah, I just... Just to quickly jump in on that, Adam, I mean, you're, you're right, this sort of point about heating or eating is is well made, but in, in reality, people don't choose between one or the other. They they sit in a cold house and they eat badly um, so or, or, or go hungry. Um, they're actually trading down on both, both of which have, you know, really 
severe knock-on impacts on, on their well-being. Now, another interesting question to come out of Jack's pricing index, is, which is what it's being called, is why are basic or economy products seemingly increasing in price faster than their premium equivalents? This is a question we put to a food inflation expert, Professor Wynne Morgan. That's that's an interesting one. I know, and I know she picked up on pasta, uh, particularly, you know, sort of a basic pasta, as it were, and the, the huge increase in price there. Now, a lot of that was to do with some of the problems we've had with wheat harvests, interestingly. So, so the price of breads and grains has gone up quite significantly. That, I think, will dissipate because we've seen better harvests in the Southern Hemisphere in the last few months. So that's good. But I think that part of it is the uh, is what goes into that product. And with the, the economy product, it's much more around the actual food content uh, in many ways. And if the, the food content price rises, you'll see a a concomitant rise in the overall price. Whereas in the premium product, there's a lot more brand, there's a lot more packaging and so forth. It tends to be a smaller proportion of the final price. That doesn't necessarily mean it shouldn't rise, but you tend to get a different behavior then from the retailers in terms of what they do with the price increase that might come through. So you do get some differential behavior. There's no question about that. But you will see all prices going up. The, the, the degree will vary though. So I really want to talk now more about savings and what we can do to cut costs where we can. First, let's hear from Joseph Cumberbatch. He's a science teacher and also the winner of the Netflix food show, Crazy Delicious. Here he gives our producer, Rob, some inspiration on making food go further from his classroom in West London. I think I tend to buy a lot of like fruit and veg. Um, Even fruit and veg has gone up, which is insane, bearing in mind that the government's always kind of saying that we're pushing five a day and we're pushing trying to live more of a healthy lifestyle, but the healthier foods are more expensive. It's really hard to fit good, healthy foods into your budget nowadays. I always say to the kids that I teach, I always talk about Freddo bars and how they used to be 5p when I was growing up and now they're 25p. I think it's really important to try and just work work as sustainably as you can with the ingredients that you have. Otherwise, you just end up spending ridiculous amounts of money. Joe, let's get these recipe ideas from you then, because I know people listening to this are going to be desperate to uh, to hear your ideas. You know, they might feel that they need inspiring. So, so what sort of recipes have you got for them? So I'd probably say like things that you can kind of batch cook. Um, I, when I was at university and trying to save money as much as possible, I used to like batch cook a lot. So I used to make soup. I used to make kind of overnight oats the other day. So I was making, what was I making? I was making apple juice and I ended up with like all the skin from all the, the, the kind of usually thrown away bits of the apple that you get from the apple after you've juiced it. And I just like baked with it, um, just made a cake and just added some of the apple juice, then added the rest of the husk and you just get like the sweetness. So you have to, you can use less sugar, but you also get like a really good texture and flavor to, to to whatever you're baking and then I recently made some carrot cake cookies as well with the excess um, carrot that you get from making carrot juice um, so it's, it's really interesting to see um, what what you can create with just stuff that you'd usually throw away so eating cheap doesn't have to be eating boring exactly exactly experiment as much as you can it doesn't matter if you get it get it wrong only you're watching and um, just experiment as much as you can. You never know that the next time you experiment, you might just come up with the best recipe you've ever made. 
Now, Anna, you've done a lot of research at the Food Foundation into healthy eating and how the UK as a nation isn't eating enough veg. And we've already started to talk about this in the show today. But can we talk a little bit more about what the role of cost is in all of this? Because generally speaking, does cooking from scratch and eating a healthy diet cost more than processed foods? Well, it's a it's a, a really important question because we know price is a massive de- determinant of what people end up buying. So price really really matters. Um, what we know from the evidence, if you look at the price per calorie across kind of all categories of food that are available in supermarkets, that healthier foods per calorie are about three times more expensive wow. than unhealthy foods. And by healthy and unhealthy here, we mean the foods which are so unhealthy would be those categorized by the government as being unsuitable for advertising to children. So foods which are high in fat, sugar and salt. So there's a, a kind of calorie, big calorie dif- uh, price per calorie differential. There are, of course, some some foods that break that rule, which are root vegetables, pulses, which tend to be very cheap um, Mm -hmm. and can be calorific Um, but what they all they also require cooking of course generally they need both time and fuel and and also cooking equipment there are some families that have a living only with a microwave or some even with only a kettle so that's also a factor Um, what what the Institute of Fiscal Studies have done is really interesting they tracked the price of ingredients versus processed food and the, the uh, and then factored in the cost of time and um, fuel needed to cook ingredients. And they've actually demonstrated that sort of between the period from the 1980s to now, process, it's, mm-hmm. it's become economically much more rational for families mm. to eat process convenient food at home rather than cook from scratch because of those other costs so we've got a very difficult situation where the sort of system is really skewed against you if you're on a low income just while we're on this point can we give some advice for parents for, for anyone really who's struggling um, at the moment on, on where to find food banks and, and how to access the support that's available at the moment yeah, I mean, there are a lot, there are different things that that parents can try. I mean, they can obviously check that whether their children are eligible for, eligible for free school meals if they're not getting them. Um, that's a really easy thing. Ask at the school, um, find out whether they're eligible. Um, if they've got children under the age of four, they can check whether they're eligible for Healthy Start. Um, there's a, a nice a little calculator on Marcus Rashford's website um, where people can check their eligibility for Healthy Start and that provides you with vouchers for fruit and veg and milk and various other sort of essentials. And then, uh, I mean, there are there are food banks where you can go on to Trussell Truss's website and have a look at where your nearest food bank or the independent food aid network that has a big list of them as well. Um, and you can also ask your council. Your council has, um, many of them have sort of like emergency grants. So if you're in a situation where the washing machine breaks or the fridge breaks and it means that you're not going to be able to put food on the table in order to fix it, you can you can get access to sort of like em- an emergency grant from your local council. So that's something else that you could look into. That's really amazing essential advice, Anna. Thank you. And so please, anyone listening, do, do take it and do share it. 
Now, Kate also mentioned the vast difference between the cost of branded items and non-branded. And there's a big point to be made here around downshifting because these kinds of swaps can make a huge difference. And Chris, you've seen the massive savings people can make here on your show for the BBC, Eat Well for Less. For anyone who hasn't seen it, you replace all the food in a household's kitchen with non-branded alternatives in, say, labelled glass jars. So they don't know what brand they are. It's brilliant. And a lot of the time, we can't taste the difference, right? No, absolutely. I think in the eight years I've been doing Eat Well for Less, I, the, you know, nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100, mm. we are more than happy. It, we can either not tell the difference between you know these much-loved big brands and the, the supermarket-owned labels, or even if we can tell the difference, we're perfectly happy with the um, with the lower cost alternative. So that is something that, that I would strongly, strongly recommend. However, this does sort of play into the whole disparate, I'm, you know, I'm reluctant to use the term unfairness, but that, that is ultimately what it is that at the moment, our, our food system is unfair on those with the least amount of money, because actually depending on uh, the access that you have to supermarkets and, and lots of people in on lower incomes don't have the access that mm-hmm. maybe the likes of you and I would have. So, you know, maybe I could go for me to go five minutes, 10 minutes for further down the road to go and, and access a cheaper supermarket or a bigger supermarket. You know, not everybody has that luxury, you know, when you're having to, to walk or, or, or get the bus potentially. So mm-hmm. some low lower income families, they're, they're very limited in their options and they're having to shop in convenience stores or, or smaller supermarkets potentially that, that actually don't have that range of, of sort of budget or basic lines um Mm -hmm. so it's there is a there is a disparity there but yeah i I, if you do if you can um i implore you to to try the cheaper alternatives if your children and sometimes it is the children um Mm -hmm. that that are a bit fussier and and sort of insist on a specific brand just do what we do you know take it out of the box put it in the the packet that they prefer um because we you know we're so um, swayed and governed by what we see. You know, if, if something comes out of a, a branded ketchup bottle, um, we, we we will assume that it is, you know, the source that we like or whatever. So, yeah, maybe do that that sort of brand swap um, at home with, with your family. But, yeah, definitely there is a, is a it, it can unlock huge savings. Looking at which research, so speaking about downshifting to, to different brands, you know, looking at things we've recently tested marmite uh versus other sort of yeast spreads i'm a huge marmite fan i'm going to confess like that's a brand i'm guilty of everything that's just been heard like i'm loyal to that brand i love marmite i have it a lot of mornings i've had it all my life it's a part of the furniture Mm -hmm. of my life actually uh and um actually which research are taste testing so blind taste testing the testers actually found that an aldi and a morrison's one came out as tasting better than than the the branded marmite and i i will confess to my skepticism because i'm loyal to this brand i'm guilty of that <laughs> and when i tried one of these actually yeah absolutely delicious and a considerable saving and we did exactly the same with nutella as well and found that own brand supermarket ones were actually coming out better rated by our taste testers than the branded version so you know there is no no harm in downgrading. And as Chris said, like if you have picky kids, swap the jar uh, and and put it into the branded one. They won't know any different. They might even think it's better than than the one they had before. So I think there's definitely easy ways there to try and bring down some of those expenses 
but again, if you have access to those products. And and also another thing that we've seen very regularly on Eat Well for Less is some of these cheaper alternatives because, you know, and as Anna quite rightly pointed out, you know, fats are, you know, one of the, the groups that has seen the biggest cost increase. But fat, salt and sugar are expensive ingredients. So actually, some of these cheap alternatives are not only cheaper and taste as good, if not better. In lots of instances, they're healthier because they have less of, of the things that we should be sort of re- trying to reduce in our diet as well. Um, and we and some of these more expensive brands, because they're luxurious, because they're decadent, because they're expensive, they feel they have to deliver more on flavor, which does come with fat, salt, sugar, calories. So sometimes the cheaper alternatives are better as well, better for you nutritionally. On the Witch website, we do have an article on the ways to spend less at the supermarket. And we'll make sure to add this into the description of the podcast. Now, a few of the points in this guide touch more on this kind of psychological stuff, um, what we could call the science behind supermarkets trying to get us to spend more, because that is ultimately their aim. And they have a lot of tricks up their sleeve. For example, Adam, you're definitely not going to find all of the essential items in one aisle. And actually, you might have to look a bit harder for them when you're down the right aisle supermarkets employ people to try to get us to spend more money whilst we're in there there is an Mm. art to how a supermarket is laid out and there are reasons that you find your local supermarket will shift its layout every now and then so you have to go around every aisle trying to find the things you tend to get like a maze exactly it's like a maze the amount of times i've I've got lost in the supermarket trying to find things and it's all to get you to spend more time there, to browse the aisles more, to mm. buy things, to see the offers, to spend money you probably wouldn't mm-hmm. have done otherwise. And you're absolutely spot on. When you get there, there is a particular way shelves are laid out so that things at eye level are much more likely to be the more, well, the higher end value stuff, the stuff they really want to sell. And actually towards the bottom of the aisle is often where you'll find the cheaper stuff and the top where I think you all know is where more expensive things can be. But even within that, sometimes that can shift around as well. So it's all about making you look for the products that you're after so you see something else that maybe costs a bit more that will tempt you into spending money. It's it's very interesting, isn't it, our relationship with supermarkets? Um, I think we, we have this real trust of them i think when we go into an independent retailer or or a a different sort of store i think we have our guard up a bit more and we are sort of more aware of of you know how much things are going to cost or or we'll be sort of slightly Mm. more mindful of things but i think we let our guard down when we go into a supermarket and i'm not demonizing supermarkets at all you know they do they do a very very good job and and they've done a great job up till now in in making food as, as affordable as possible. So they do lots of great things. However, we must go in there with the understanding that this is a business. This is a business that is there to generate profits. Okay, they, they provide a service, they do lots of fabulous things as well. But they are ultimately there to make money. And I think we need to go in there, you know, not, you know, not worried, not, you know, sort of, you know, panicking around the, the aisles, but certainly with our guard up a little bit. I know I'm definitely guilty of that. But when we delved into fluctuating prices last year, we found the difference can be as much as a huge 300% comparing when they're on offer and and when they're not, frankly. It's a staggering difference, isn't it, Lucia? Mm. And it's, um, it's certainly one that does mean there's opportunity there as well, because if items are heavily 
discounted and their sort of store cupboard ingredients, for example, there's the opportunity there if your budget allows to stop by and make considerable savings as well. Um, so it is worthwhile if you do have the budget when something's on offer quite dramatically like that, you can stock up things like tin tomatoes, for example, are something that I quite often will pick up if they're on offer or, or cooking oil, for example, is another one. If it's on offer, it could be worth getting a couple of those um, to make savings in the long run. But it does depend on you having the budget to do that in the first place. But certainly if you can avoid paying full price for something, you absolutely should. And what about loyalty cards? How worthwhile are they? Because they've changed a lot in recent years, haven't they? Now, my nearest supermarket is Tesco. And I've noticed that in-store, a lot of the promotions are only given at the till now once you've used your club card. It's kind of nudged me into getting a club card, really. Yeah, it's interesting the shift that we've seen through those. But certainly, the loyalty scheme discounts are worth taking advantage of. Um, They do mean that you can save a considerable amount on your shopping the trade-off you're going to be making is that the supermarket is going to learn a lot more about you um Mm. so the trade-off there is that you give away some of your data about what it is that you're buying but certainly we've found you can make considerable savings and take tesco for example which is the supermarket I, i tend to frequent um you know there's that club car saving that could be anywhere around 10 15 pound savings sometimes depending on what you're buying yeah. but you are you are reliant on giving the supermarket your data and ultimately that's a trade off a lot of us are, are having to make now because we want to and have to bring down the cost of our weekly shop i i could if i could interject on that as well um i think first of all it's great to do if if you can get some sort of reward for your custom you're going if you are shopping in one particular supermarket and spending um you know the majority of your money in there if you mm. can get some sort of rewards for it that's i think it's a, a good thing however i would say that just be mindful again because in my experience and and the case that you're mentioning there is is the club card reductions in store they are primarily to what i've said and i might be wrong but what i've seen it's on big branded items so Mm. even with your discount even with that new club card price that still might not be and in i would suggest my gut instinct is it's not the case that that's the cheapest product available Okay, well, before we wrap up, can we finish then with a few more of our best tips? Now, a favourite of mine would be to use discount codes for new customers if you haven't already. And, and if you can, because often they do come with a with a minimum spend. And they're not always running, but it's definitely worth a check. And there is also this new wave of supermarket deliveries, the kind of delivery for groceries. And they offer them too, like GoPuff and Get It or a couple of them, these apps. But you'll have to check if they operate in your postcode. Adam, do you have them in, in Norwich? <laughs> we do actually no interestingly each year we we looked at um delivery grocery deliveries for example um last summer and we found actually a lot of these apps can actually factor in considerable markups that's how a lot of them make a profit so the prices you see listed on an app may be higher than what you pay in store uh, and those are quite often the hidden additional costs that you may incur so i would say if you can avoid using those apps I would recommend to do so because often that's where you'll find you could be paying considerably more for your groceries than you would be if you went to the store or did an online delivery directly with the supermarket um, yourself. There's often a markup added in that that can be quite hidden uh, and it's not always obvious. It's not just the delivery fee you're necessarily paying for, particularly with the likes of delivery. We found prices were being inflated to cover the, the commission effectively that delivery charged. 
I think Chris is the guru on tips, but um, my little uh, thing that I try to do is buy frozen buy frozen veg because I find it um, it really means that you can just take the right amount that you need for the cooking that you're doing, and you're not you know you, you're not dealing with any waste at all, and it's also quite a cheap way to buy veg. I think canned frozen fresh i mean ultimately we want people to be eating as much veg uh, as as possible in terms of the nutritional profile it's about time between the product being harvested or picked and then either frozen or eaten so in some cases in lots of cases when they harvest and then freeze the product within hours or within that day all of that goodness is being locked in and if you're not eating something that's really fresh then actually the nutritional profile that, that you're having from the fresh product could be less than the frozen one. So it's horses for courses. Uh, it's each case on its own merit. However, tinned, frozen or fresh, I, you know, I think get a selection, get a mixture and, and, and sort of do a bit of a mix and match with it. But yeah, Anna's absolutely right. Frozen veggies is not only more economical, but but drastically reduces your waste figure. Um, and, and that figure that we're throwing away represents a real amount of money you know in in some cases it could be i think the average i think we're looking at is about 10 pound per household per week of food going in the bin um so if you can do everything within your power to offset that to reduce that to to try and eradicate that that will offer a, a fairly sizable saving that's huge i mean i think for me actually reducing food waste is is my my big thing there's definitely a bit of um <laughs> investing in yourself and your ability in the kitchen can really pay dividends uh, when it comes to things like reducing food waste using up leftovers knowing what's in your fridge and what you can do with it you know the internet is an incredible resource when it comes to finding good recipes youtube i mean you can spend days uh, seeing videos on youtube of people cooking up a storm you know you can learn a lot in a very short space of time and actually the benefits that that can bring in terms of reducing food waste meaning that you can much more clearly plan out meals for example i know this all depends on you having the luxury of time uh, and that isn't necessarily for everyone but certainly investing in yourself in your abilities in the kitchen can pay off massively in terms of reducing your food bill as well because you can do more uh, with what you have reduced food wastage that's gonna really um, pay off and my other one is always those yellow stickers and just familiarizing yourself with when things will be reduced in your local store and supermarket and knowing when to head over there. It's usually early evening and the yellow stickers are, are when the perishable products are going to be discounted. You can get stuff in the freezer. You can pick up things like a big pack of chicken breast for a very, very low price. You can bag those up, put some in the freezer for a later date. There are ways you can actually really stretch out your budget by doing that and save considerable sums as well. And that's certainly something I've done a lot of in the past as well when when times are tight. So those are my things really about just, you know, being a bit more familiar with what you're buying, knowing how to reduce wastage and being able to pick it up cheap and freeze it and package it up are all going to make a huge difference.
Well, what an episode. Thank you so much to Anna, Chris and Adam for coming on the show today. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Witch Money Podcast. Our next episode on the rising costs of living will be focusing on travel. And by that, we mean how things like the price of fuel and increasing rail fares will be affecting your pocket and how you can save. So as always, please get in touch on the Witch Money Facebook and Twitter with any comments and any questions, any observations. The usual housekeeping before you head off, please hit follow and subscribe if you haven't already and leave us a review and rating wherever you're listening. And for more money-saving news and advice, find our Rising Costs of Living hub online at witch.co.uk forward slash save money. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was produced and edited by Rob Lilly with additional support from Ian Aikman and Charlotte Gifford. <laughs>